0: A day in the life of a patent attorney. Hi, I'm Ben Chapman, a patent attorney at Carmel's and Ransford. And today I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Lilith Rees, a part qualified patent attorney who works in our life sciences group. Today we'll be discussing what the day-to-day working life of a patent attorney actually looks like. So, Lilith, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Hi, Ben. Um, Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me. So I guess let's dive right in. I think it's always interesting to hear what a job is actually like, you know, before you've got your feet on the ground. So yeah. would you be able to let our listeners know what the working day of a patent attorney actually looks like?
1: Yes, yes, of course. Um, so mainly um, because I'm a trainee, um, I all my work is supervised to an extent. But I think um, it's sort of a linear progression. So when you start, your work's quite heavily supervised and you get a lot of supervision and your hand's held quite a lot. And then as you go through the training process, um, you the supervision com- becomes lighter and lighter and you come up with your own ideas. But generally in terms of tasks, um, I do a mixture of various things and, and it's really nice as a trainee to kind of have that variation. So... Um, I do a lot of prosecution work.
0: I mean, prosecution, just a reminder for anyone who missed our episode with Russell prosecuting patent applications, that means, you know, when we're corresponding with patent offices to get patents granted once the application has been filed, right?
1: Yes, sir. Um, I do a lot of European prosecution work. Um, generally, in life sciences, we tend to have a lot of European cases rather than UK cases. Um, so I do a lot of European prosecution where I get an exam report um, from an examiner or some sort of communication from the European Patent Office, I have a look at it, think about what's going on, what are the objections. Um, So you get different objections and they're normally based on law. Um, And during the training process, you kind of find out more and more about the law and become, um, have a deeper understanding of what the objections mean and based on experience you know how to sort of address the objections a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um so I'll have a look at the objections come up with some ideas if I'm fairly confident with what's going on and I think I understand um how I'd like to address it I'll then prepare um a response um which is where you reply to the examiner either sort of telling them that they're wrong um or you can tell them that you agree in some part with their objections and in that case where you think okay the examiner does have a point here and you'll you'll do a bit of negotiation with the client and you'll find out exactly you know what your client wants in terms of commercial product so that you can kind of narrow down the scope of protection of the invention which is where um, you amend claims because the claims are the part of the Patent application that define the scope of the invention so what you'll do is you'll you'll amend the claims you know narrow them down make them more specific or change the wording in some way to sort of um address whatever problem the examiner has mm. um and then you'll write a reply to the examiner why your amendments address their objections in some way um, and then sometimes in exam reports examiners might say we want you to do this And it would be patentable. And in that case, sometimes with your client, you might find that their commercial product is covered by that and they're happy to amend. In which case, that's an easy response and you just (laughs) do what the examiner says and um, carry on. So that's that's prosecution. And you have different stages. So, I mean, the most common type of uh, EPO communication we see are um, exam reports. But there are various other things to do with the law, but I won't go into the specifics.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, well, I guess it's worth saying typically the very first communication that you get from a patent office on a patent application is the search report. And that's yeah. where they have lots of documents that the examiner thinks are relevant. Yeah, And then those examination reports that come after, they've got all the objections and the... the things that the examiner thinks are wrong with the patent application that are often based on those first things that came up in the search report.
1: Yeah, exactly. So generally, the examiner will raise an objection because there's something out there that the examiner cited and the examiner mm. thinks, OK, the, um, the invention, the claimed invention isn't novel. So, you know, it's been done before, you know, you need to amend Um, So I'll I'll think about ways in which we can amend that might be quite clever, that might sort of be a little bit broader than what the examiner had in mind, but still um, address the objection. So it's sort of thinking outside the box sometimes about how you can claim a client's invention, but still comply with um, the EPC, which is the European Patent Convention.
0: Which is the the law that governs whether or not something is patentable for the European Patent Office.
1: Yeah um and then so i do a lot of prosecution um and also i um i have some clients where i do um foreign prosecution which is where i deal with um objections from all over the world so i, I deal with getting applications in various countries that's not europe um to grant and in that case i will review sometimes quite peculiar objections from different jurisdictions um and again think of how we can respond and think of some amendments and instruct some local attorneys to file a response in that particular country mm-hmm. in that case it's really interesting as a trainee because you know you get to sort of think about a more global strategy and sort of maintaining consistency um about what the claimed invention is across different countries in the world for your client which is fun
0: i mean i've had a few of those cases as well where you have the same patent application being prosecuted in lots of different countries around the world, and then it becomes interesting because you might get different objections from different yeah. patent offices and you're having to try and take the same approach but deal with slightly different bits of cited documents and slightly different objections. There's always a bit of a puzzle to put together with those.
1: yeah, exactly. Um, and then I also, as part of my um work, I help with oppositions. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really fun part of the job, um, especially sort of when you, you get more experience and you can kind of pitch in your own ideas and um they're quite they're normally quite high value cases um, that are important to clients, um, hence why there's a competitor opposing a patent. Um so generally in oppositions um what you'll have is your client's patent will grant or a patent will grant. It might be your competitor's patent that will grant. And if it's your competitor's patent that grants, you'll be filing an opposition um, to sort of knock the patent out and say why the patent's invalid. Um, And then if if your client's patent has been opposed by a competitor or somebody else, then you'll be defending the patent and saying why um, the patent is valid. And these are quite fun because, yeah, you get different... um, you have to sort of have a lot of input um, with the supervisors and the, the supervisors will kind of, you know, senior associates and partners at the firm will sort of lead these big high-value projects and you'll help out in the best way you can. Um, and generally, these are really cool because you'll generally have a lot of fallback options that you have to consider and there's sort of many, many factors in an opposition that you have to think about to try and help out your client in maintaining their patent. If you're defending, and if you're attacking, it a lot of the time is sort of thinking about the best strategy and the best route to um, argue that a competitor's patent is invalid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as a trainee, that's really fun to get involved with early on. Um, and generally, with oppositions, you'll get to go to hearings. Um, at the European Patent Office, and that's really, really cool. Yeah, um, because you, you kind of get to see it in action.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean the hearings are a really exciting part of the job, I think. Yeah. Um But I guess the the lead up before a hearing in an opposition is all done in written procedure at yeah. the EPO. So there's still lots of writing, but this time it's both you and the other side are writing to and from the Patent Office, um, and. The patent prosecution work is all mainly based on stuff in writing rather than being hearings or telephone calls with the examiners, right? It's mainly done in yeah. writing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So generally in examination, um, you'll be writing to the European Patent Office, an examiner at the European Patent Office, and you'll be agreeing or disagreeing <laughs> with each other depending on how well the case is going. And if it gets to a point where you're not making any progress in written proceedings, sometimes you'll get to go to a hearing for examination Mm. but that's less common um and in opposition it's you're sort of giving your reasoning either as um an opponent or as a patentee and then the other side will be giving their opinions and then the european patent office there'll be um an opposition division which will be made up of three members of the european patent office who will be thinking about who's correct basically and (laughs) is there is there um do either side have a point?
0: Yeah, a lot of the work is is really just writing letters, isn't it? I suppose is the, yeah. the the main product that comes out of the office are letters yes. to and from patent offices. but as you say, in examination proceedings with pr- prosecution, you can end up with a hearing in front of examiners, and all opposition matters normally end with a hearing in front of the EPO where mm-hmm. you and the other side are putting your case. And it's decided on the day. I wondered if you'd just be able to talk me through what they're like, because they're quite an exciting part of the job, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they're really exciting. And um, so I think it, it's quite random in the sense that um, as a trainee, it just depends what cases you're on and whether the patents that you prosecuted end up getting opposed or a client that you work for um has a patent that's opposed so I didn't personally I didn't go to a hearing for a while but once I went I thought it was so exciting um I actually went to watch as part of a training um process at cartmails where they realized that I'd not been to a hearing so one of the partners took me along and I got to just watch which was really interesting and it's kind of not what you expect. It's almost, it, you get the thrill and the sort of adrenaline of going and being an advocate for your client. I mean, personally, I'm not the one that's doing the speaking. I'm definitely just there as support.
0: Mm. And it
1: will be, you know, a more senior associate or a partner that will be speaking on behalf of the client. But the job as a trainee, you'd be there to support um, whoever is speaking at the hearing. And it, it it's really strange because it's it's not like you're in a big courtroom or anything you know you're just very much in sort of a classroom type um facility at the European patent office and what struck me as a trainee I guess was that the examiner that you you, that you communicate with um all this time in your job and write letters to they're actually just real normal people um which is sort of really interesting Yes. Yeah, so in the hearings themselves, um, it's just interesting to see the order in which people speak and sort of to see how the process actually goes. Um, and I found it sort of really interesting because you get to know a partner quite well and, you know, you get to have really um, interesting time and share a really interesting experience with a partner. Um, but you also get more experience about procedure So the next time you do maybe an opposition case back at the office, I thought it was really helpful to have a bit of context to know sort of where the case is going. And the more experience you have, I guess, the better you are at thinking up ideas in your work in the office.
0: Exactly. I think it's worth uh, maybe talking a little bit about the opposition procedure of the hearing on the day. Um, Just for a bit of context for our listeners, which is you have three examiners who are deciding whether a patent's going to be revoked or not um, mm-hmm. or whether they're, it's going to be limited in some way. And there's the opponent who are the people that want the patent revoked and the patentee and mm-hmm. their attorneys are sat in the same room as the examiners and they're both putting their cases forward and the examiners go through a series of decisions and decide whether it complies with various aspects of the law and depending on whether or not it complies with those aspects, the patent's either maintained or it's revoked. And the patentee has the opportunity to make some amendments if, if they think that that will get around some of the things that have been brought up. And there's all of the arguments you're putting forward on the day, but that's not the end of the story in terms of how the opposition plays out. Because a lot of preparation goes into that, right, Lilith? It's not just rocking up yeah. on the day.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of preparation because I mean, as you said before, um there's a lot of written proceedings before you get to a hearing. Um and then you've got to take into account everything that's been said in the written proceedings and you have to prepare and it's almost like revision. Um, you know, you'll see the people that are speaking at the hearing will almost learn the submission so that they know exactly what's happened with this case going forwards and then um as a trainee i'm there to support think of any possible other arguments that they'd want to try on the day um thinking about further fallback options so like you said you know if the if the three um people at the european patent office the three examiners on the sort of opposition division think okay you know the opponent's got a point then you have to think about all these fallback options as to okay can we get around what um the people at the european patent office think Mm. and actually find some sort of way that this patent can be maintained and cover the client's product
0: as you said it's it's quite the adrenaline rush because you have basically one day and there will be an outcome at the end of the day and Mm -hmm. so you have to be in a position to be on top of everything that's happened in that procedure up to that point so that you can address any points on the day um, Mm -hmm. and any new arguments that come up you're able to respond to them It's definitely one of my favourite parts of the job. And I think a lot of patent attorneys agree with that.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: (laughs) It's definitely a fun thing to get involved at from quite an early stage in your career as well. Because, I mean, you're at the stage where it's a lot of um, staying on top of the documents, supporting the advocates on the day. And that gives you a really good grounding in what's going on in the procedure. So when your time comes to actually present the cases and you've got someone there next to you shuffling the documents and handing you post-it notes you know what you're doing too because you've seen someone do it all before
1: yeah that's that's so true um and I think it's really good to sort of witness some you know really excellent patent attorneys speak on behalf of their clients and you think okay I really like how they presented that argument and it's just really useful for a training process to see how you can advocate for someone really successfully Mm. um And sometimes you can kind of see, you know, if the other side maybe isn't as well prepared, you can kind of see how preparation is really important.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely true. Um, I suppose opposition hearings are one of those things that's been uh, impacted a bit by the last year and a half and the pandemic. We're not going to Munich uh, as we used to or The Hague to perform the opposition hearings. They're done remotely now. So that's changed a little bit how it works hasn't it?
1: Yeah it has um, so I mean I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that um, our jobs weren't really affected by the pandemic apart from that I had to sort of sit at home and um, my day-to-day life hasn't really changed um, in terms of the work I do but in our positions you can really see the difference in the sense that you know your hearing is held in the office um, but I think you know, the proceedings are the same. Catmills has a really good tech setup for hearings. Um, so you still very much feel the adrenaline. Um, but it's just a little bit strange seeing the uh, opposition division on a screen rather than in real life. Yeah. But otherwise, the hearings run the same. So it is really good experience to be able to um, still attend. And it makes things a lot easier to attend as well because, you know, we're not catching flights where just walking upstairs um
0: (laughs) that is that is true that having said that i do miss the cold glasses of vice beer in celebration or commiseration after (laughs) the hearings
1: yeah yeah and it it was nice to sort of get a trip out to munich or the hague to just have sort of um a getaway a little bit
0: (laughs) um so we were just talking about how you know you start with opposition hearings as a trainee and you're uh, supporting the advocate on the day. And as you work your way up through your career, you take over that advocacy role. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you feel like um, things develop over the course of your career here? I, I, I mean, you've been here for four years now, Lilith. Yeah. How's it changed from day one to where you are now? And and how's it going to change in the future?
1: So it's one of those things that when I joined, you know, as a, in my first few months at Cartmills, I thought, oh man, these trainees just know everything. You know, the ones that had been here for four years and now I'm in that position, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how much how much progress you've made but then also how much there is to go because I feel like patent law is pretty niche um, and you can always sort of know more sides to the law and know more cases and know more about how to formulate complex arguments. But from day one I think it's really nice sort of linear progression that I've had you know you you start off where you get a lot of support by supervisors you know you get um sort of taken through how you're supposed to write a letter and in the day-to-day workings you'll just find gradually you'll start coming up with some ideas you know over a number of years and that Mm. you'll suddenly realize that actually you know how to address this argument and you've got a pretty good idea of what you're going to say so I think it's a very gradual thing that you end up being more and more independent in your role and then it turns into more of a conversation with a supervisor about why you've written certain things and sort of justifying your own arguments so that they they can support you and tell you okay have you thought about this aspect too but very mm. much at the start, it's more you need to do this for this reason. <laughs> yes. um, um, but in terms of training that cartmills provides, it's it's really good because you you learn most things on the job. To be honest, you know yeah. how you do the job. You very much just have to have experience, and it's actually a requirement for sitting the final exams that I sit for Europe that you have to be in the job for a certain number of years um, because they know that you need the experience in order to have the skills to do the job. Um, But in my first few months at Cartmails, they kind of, they give you in-house tutorials. So the advantage of coming from a big firm, I guess, is that there's a lot of people who have a lot of experience and they talk you through the basics of patent law. Yeah. Um, They talk you through the basics, actually, of how you're part of a business um, and that was something that I'd not really considered when I started. You know, there's a lot of client care. There's a lot of considerations about what is a timesheet. And that's how you we record our time on cases. And, you know, that's how clients are billed. But it's something that I just had no idea about before. Yeah. Um, so the tutorials not only help you with the legal aspects of the job, but they also help you with how to actually become a trainee at a firm yeah um because work expects you to have the technical side of things, um you know you have knowledge and a strong scientific background from your degree, so they're more training you up on the law and how to do your job um with the scientific background
0: and well i mean you you touched on it there as well lilith in in parallel to all of this as your training, I suppose there are the the dreaded exams. The dreaded I exams. Wondered, <laughs> I wonder if you'd just be able to talk us through the, the, the timescale and sort of the official exams that you take over the course of your training.
1: Yeah, um, so I think it varies um, from firm to firm. But at Cartmill's, at least, um, we have our first year where we have in-house tutorials from um, various people at work who tell you about the basics, like I've just mentioned. Um, and then after a year, we generally go on um, a university course where um, they teach you um, about the basics of mainly UK patent law. Um, but we do we also cover trademarks and yep. copyright and other types of IP and designs. Um, so you sort of have a real foundation then in what IP law is and... Um, the different types of intellectual property that you have yeah. and at the end of that uni course you sit a set of exams based on different um, aspects of IP law and then once you've sat those exams you become part qualified um, if you've passed and then after that university course um, Cartmel set another set of tutorials which are slightly more advanced in the sense that you're dealing with more complex aspects of the law and more complex objections and cartmails is just giving you a bit more experience in case you haven't come across certain sure. objections or complex parts of patent law um, in the course of your job already. So it's kind of just giving everyone a little bit more help and putting everyone on the same level. Yeah. Um, but that's very much in house, you know, in, in cartmails. And then, we prepare for the UK final exams. So um, the UK final exams are pretty tough and the European final exams are also very tough. Um, So generally how I did it is that I sat the UK final exams and then sat the European exams. Um, It's quite nice because there's not really a huge amount of pressure to pass all of your exams first time because work is very aware that the pass rates are not great for these exams um they're notoriously difficult
0: yeah it's it's worth saying i i don't think i know anyone who passed all of their exams first time i certainly didn't no. i <laughs> took a couple of times for a couple of them i'll tell you that much
1: yeah <laughs> yeah there there's things where you know, they're sort of tick box exercises that you have to do in order to become a patent attorney, but it very much doesn't really affect your day-to-day job. You know, you're still Mm. carrying on doing your job. And I'd say the most difficult aspect of revising for these exams is that you still have a full-time job and you're having to put in a lot of hours for your final um, exam preparations. Yeah. So the UK exams um, are, are pretty difficult because a lot of people don't do uk cases we mainly focus on european cases and so they've got an added element of complexity (laughs) and then the european exams are very much skill based on what you have learned across your job but um there's also a legal exam that you very much sort of need to sit down and revise for
0: memorize a lot of law basically is part of the name of the game for both the uk and the european exams yeah and you mentioned the the skill-based aspect. So mm-hmm. what, what skills are they picking up on with these exams?
1: For the European exams, it's um, very much drafting. We have a drafting exam and um, that's where you're given a letter um, by a notional client and they describe what the invention is and you have to write a patent application mm-hmm. um, based on the letter from the client and you've got to think about what's commercially important and most of the marks come from the claims which is the you know defining the scope of the invention scope of protection um and you've just got to think about all different fallback options and really what is the inventive concept of the client's invention you know what makes it clever yeah um and then we have an amendment exam which is basically prosecution work you know what what we do on a day-to-day basis where you have a letter from an examiner and they raise particular objections and cite certain documents and then you get given these documents in the exam and you have to figure out okay what tweaks do i need to make to the claims to make the examiner happy and still cover my client's product so that's very much part of the job really yeah um And then you have an opposition paper where we talked about oppositions. You have to pretend that you are opposing a patent and you get given some documents in the exam and you have to come up with some attacks to try and knock out the patent. Um, And then you have, yeah, a legal exam in which you just have to really understand the European Patent Convention. And you get given various problem questions and you have to answer it as best you can.
0: And so it's... There's a similar set of exams for the UK final exams, aren't there? But um, yeah. they they cover basically similar topics, but are based on UK law rather than European law. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I guess it's worth saying, so I'm sure our listeners will be interested. It's typically about three to four years before you're sitting those exams, and depending on how many times you have to reset, um, you're looking at four to five years before you become fully qualified. Yeah, but. As you said, Lilith, it's, it's interesting because it's the kind of job where you're doing these exams in parallel, but they're not some gatekeeping exams that stop you being able to do anything. You're still just doing the job that you're doing uh, and, and learning on the job and still developing as you're going, even though you've got the exams going on in parallel.
1: Exactly. I, it doesn't really hold you back. You know, you still get interest in work, even if you failed a couple of exams, you know, you, you still carry on your job as normal. it's just annoying for you because you have to resit them um yeah. at some point um but i one thing I'd say is you know I heard absolute horror stories about the exams, and they are pretty terrible. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, but mm. they're definitely worth it in the long run um I'd say you know i I find my job really rewarding and interesting, and they're the not so nice aspect of the job, but they're just necessary for the European patent office and the UK patent office to basically know that you're competent in doing your job. So yeah. fair enough.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, we should also say it's not all just, uh, it's not all just work. It's not all just exams either. There's lots of stuff going on outside the office. Give us a flavor of that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, I very much love the social scene at work. I'm not going to lie. Um, I am quite an active member of the social, uh, group at work, but um it's just really nice. Cartmills are a very sociable firm, so peop- there's something for everyone here. We do a- well before COVID, we did a lot of pub trips and you know the classic sort of Friday drinks, but also Cartmills has um a book club, which is really fun, and you get to read certain books and then you get to talk about them, and that's really fun to talk about with your colleagues because you know you get different. People turning up to those who m- you might not necessarily work with on a day to day basis. Mm. There's a netball team and um, there's football. There's, uh, we also have some beehives at work and some people are beekeepers, um which is fun.
0: It's also good because we occasionally get jars of honey.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is good. And um, we, we just, if you have an idea and if you want to take it up with work, the partners are very very open to having more socials and having people along um to organize events the trainees a lot of the time organize events between themselves so that you know new starters and anyone that's just joined the firm can get to know each other and that's really fun it's very open and inclusive as a firm
0: yeah I think it's also an advantage of being a, a big firm and coming in as part of a large cohort as well there's lots of people and you're always going to find someone with similar interests that you'll be able to get something going with um I know when we were in, when we were all in the office and once we're back as part of the running group towards the back very much towards the back but we'd go out for runs every every week at lunchtime which was fun
1: yeah and I mean I joined in a cohort of 12 and the 12 of us are all still here and we're all really good friends which is really nice um and it's just really nice to have that sort of um almost like a grad scheme type structure where you have peers that you can talk to throughout your training process and you know you can regard as friends and they will help you out and you know they're the people that are going to drag you through the exams and it's just really fun to sort of do a a lot of yeah revision for your exams but also be able to go out and have some fun um in your spare time
0: i think it's Interesting. Because one thing that you do worry about when you're applying for jobs is if you're applying to somewhere that's on the bigger end and Cartmels is one of the bigger patent firms out there, you worry that you're going to just be one of many people. But actually coming in as part of a cohort really does have its advantages, um, yeah. particularly with something like Cartmills, which is it's a big patent firm, but it's not a big company in the grand scheme of things. Um, you, you're not going to get lost in no. the herd.
1: no no definitely not and you know everyone knows your name and everyone ha- you know in your cohort will they're all different characters but we all tend to blend well together which is really nice um and it's nice that the partners and different people at work kind of recognize different people's character traits and personalities and try and sort of adapt according to what you're like as a person
0: yeah i do i do think you get people Uh, joining the profession generally who are all have come from a similar background. Everyone's done a STEM degree. Everyone's had an interest in doing something that's based on communication. So you get quite a similar set of personalities, even though everyone's quite different, everyone tends to get on quite well together.
1: Yeah. I think um, in order to sort of apply for the job and really sort of stay, you have to be a pedant and you have to be pretty organized um, which is actually pretty good for organising socials because it means that ev- every- everyone's very organised with their social plans and um, everyone turns up and everyone's very reliable. So um, it works quite well on both sides.
0: Well, there we go. Who knew pedantry is the best way to make sure that there's good organised fun. Yeah, good organised fun. So Lilith. Thank you so much for your time. I think that's probably everything we've got time for today. Um, uh, before you go, though, I've got one question that I ask all of our guests. Uh, what's your favourite part of your job as a patent attorney, if you had to pick just one?
1: My favourite part, the variety. Mm. You get a variety of types of work. You get a variety of technologies to look at and get stuck in with. And then you work for a variety of people. Um mm and I, I think I really enjoy that because one day is never the same
0: that's so true I mean I was quite flippant when I said it's all just writing letters but it, it is quite different day to day just with the, the variety of different types of work and yeah. and types of technology I think that's so true Well, thanks again Lilith, um, thank no you for worries. your time today and uh, thank you for listening to Discover IP uh, we hope you'll join us again soon for more insights into the career path of a patent attorney, so do subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about a career in IP or just want to get in touch, then you can contact us at recruitment at